0: Thank you so much, worship team, and good morning, awakened family. So good to see all of you back. School year is back in session. Everybody's back from their vacations. Got a nice full house here this morning. So excited to preach from God's word. If we haven't had the chance to connect yet, my name is Ryan. I have the blessing of serving this incredible family as the lead pastor, and today I've got the honor of bringing God's word as we continue in our series that we are calling Silencing Shame. Now, few of you, you were out last week on those last-minute vacations. Let me just catch you up real quick. We kicked this series off last week by uh, talking about really what it means for us to silence shame. And we realized in this that we can't just talk about shame. We actually have to go all the way back to the beginning. We have to go all the way back to Genesis, back to our origin story, so that we can learn how to expose and silence this voice of shame in our lives. And so if you were here, you remember that we started that journey by talking about the influence and the impact that shame has in each of our lives. And we learned together that this impact, this influence, we can actually just trace it all the way back to a simple case of a mistaken identity. And when we think about our shame, you draw all the way back to its origins and we learn that really at the core, at the root of it, is a case of mistaken identity. We don't understand who God created us to be and we actually learn that we can avoid much of the shame that we experience if we simply come to know and come to embrace that we have been designed to be dependent on God that we've been designed to bear his image and that we have been designed to worship him when we know and when we embrace these truths family there is so much of shame that we can avoid or that we can come to silence However, we also learn that this identity is not exactly an easy one for us to live into because all around us, there are these temptations for us to ignore the way we were designed and instead to focus on what we feel we deserve, right, That's what we see here in Genesis. That's what we see with the example of Adam and Eve, they weren't content with the identity that had been given to them, the one that God had spoken over them. And so they gave in to this temptation to to chase after more than they were created for. And the result, as we see, it's not just sin, but they actually experience shame. In that moment, right, they become painfully aware of their shortcomings and their vulnerability. And as a result, the first thing they do is they go and they hide. They go and they hide. And that's honestly, when we think about it, the first instinct that you and I have, right? When When we mess up, when we do something we shouldn't, we feel that shame and what do we do? You go and hide. I've seen this in my kids from time to time, and maybe you can relate to this when you were little. But when you do something wrong and your parents catch you in it, and you got nowhere to go, right? What do you do? You do something like this, right? Cover your face. You cover your face in shame, or maybe you run off to to the corner like this little girl, try to get as far away as you can from this this awful feeling. Well, family, the challenge is that this this sort of hiding it doesn't stop as we grow older. In fact, it just gets more complex. We get a little bit more crafty. And if anything, it only gets more and more harmful. Which is why we're going to focus today on our response to shame. Because what I ultimately want you to see here this morning, family, is that shame's main purpose is to get you to run and to hide from the very relationships that were designed to bring you joy and fulfillment. Let's say that one more time. Shame's purpose is to get you to run and to hide from the very relationships that were designed to bring you joy and fulfillment. So, today we're going to look back to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to learn what our instinctual sinful response is. We're going to expose the ways in which we run and hide, but then we're going to look to see how God wants us to respond. So, that's a little bit of the journey we're going to take this morning. Are you all ready? All right, good. Let's pray before we dive in. Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, the word that spoke this world into existence and the word that continues to speak truth and to speak life into your children. Lord, would you use this time? Would you use your words and would they... Would they convict us? Would they compel us to live into the very identity that you have given us in Christ Jesus? It's in his holy name that we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Well, like I said, this morning we are going to be back in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles or Bible apps, now would be a great time to get those out. And as you do, I want to just remind you of where we're finding Adam and Eve here in this story. We've gone through two chapters, right, of God creating the world. The first one showing kind of all the creation. The second chapter more fixed on on the creation of Adam and Eve. And at at the end of chapter two, God gives us one little glimpse to describe the state that Adam and Eve were in. He says they were naked and not ashamed. Naked and not ashamed. That's really the only thing we have to describe this emotional state that they were in. They were naked and not ashamed. In other words, they were at peace, right? They were embracing this identity that God had designed for them, that he had spoken over them. Everything is exactly how it was designed to be until, right? Chapter three begins and we see the serpent enter the picture and the serpent tempts Adam and Eve. And if you were here last week, we talked about how the the, the serpent, he tempts Adam and Eve by taking this truth. This truth that God never tried to hide, right? That they are not enough on their own. And we talked about how we're image bearers, how we're dependent, how we were created to worship God. All those things tell us is that we were not created to live this life alone, that we are not enough. But Satan takes this truth and he twists it. He twists it from being this point of connection with God into being a point of contention with God. And what this does for Adam and Eve is it, is it shifts their perspective And gets them to ignore the way they were designed and instead to pursue what they felt they deserved. And to put it simply, they felt that they deserved more. They deserved more than God had created them for. And then we see what happens here in Genesis chapter 3. Join me in verses 6 through 8. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, So what we see here in three consecutive verses is sin, followed by shame, followed by the response of Adam and Eve. The sin is pretty easy to see, right? Adam and Eve, they pursue the created thing rather than the one who created all things. Notice what it says here. It says the tree was, they saw it as good. They saw it as a delight. They saw it as something to be desired. These are all the things that they should have seen in God, but instead they were seeing in what he had created. So they pursued it instead of him. This is where sin comes in, right? Where we, where we see in God's creation what we should see in him and so we chase after it instead of him. And of course, we see what happens next. Shame follows in verse seven. Tells them that their eyes were opened. Now, if you remember what the serpent had told them, he sold the, this to them as a, as a benefit. Hey, if you do this, then this will happen. This was what they thought was gonna be a reward. But we find out that it was anything but. Their eyes were opened. They immediately encounter Shame. And that leads to their reaction then, right? This external display of this powerful internal emotion. And the reason why we're going to focus on this response today is because the reality is that shame may begin with a case of mistaken identity. And it may, it may first take place in here, but it never ends here, right? Shame always works its way out. Shame always works its way out into our relationships, both with God and with each other. So today what I want to do is I want to break these verses down, break down some of these truths so that you can see the way that shame impacts our relationships. So if you're taking notes this morning, I'd encourage you to write this first point down. One of the first ways we see shame impact our relationship is that shame isolates. Write down, shame isolates. Now we don't get the full play-by-play picture here of everything that happens between Adam and Eve, but my guess is that if Adam and Eve were ashamed of their nakedness, then this act of sewing fig leaves and loincloths together was probably not a couple's activity, right? What we see instead is is a severing of what was supposed to be a beautiful partnership. And so I'm guessing they probably went and found their own tree, their own set of shrubs to hide behind as they took to this task alone. What this should reveal to us, family, is that oftentimes our first response to shame is to isolate from one another, right? Out of fear of being seen for who we really are, we simply choose not to be seen at all. We start to hear this voice of shame in our minds, telling you shame isn't just possible. It's inevitable. Rejection isn't just possible, friends. It says it's, it's inevitable. If you show yourself for who you really are, they're not going to love you. And so rather than opening ourselves up to this inevitable pain, we just say, I'm just going to cut myself off from it. So we choose to stay home rather than going to church. We choose to look at our phones rather than engaging in a real conversation. We choose to invest our time in Netflix rather than in actual relationships. But here's the problem, family. While you think you may be be keeping yourself from shame by entering into isolation, you're actually just feeding your shame. You think you're freeing yourself from it, but you're actually feeding shame. That's All you're doing is you're putting yourself into this endless cycle that's just gonna lead you right back to where you started. Let me show you what I mean. We've got this, this chart right here. And we see this in the story of Adam and Eve, right there, sin. It leads them to shame, which leads to this desire for secrecy, which leads to them isolating from each other, which leads them back to sin. And round and round and round we go. It's the very same thing, That happens to you when your sin leads you to shame, right? When you fail in your marriage, when your porn addiction starts to to resurface, your instinct is to keep it under wraps. And what does that do? It leads you to ghosting on your friends, to not responding to those phone calls and text messages, to taking a step back from community for a, a season. I've seen these patterns. To be honest, I've heard these excuses, What's at the core of them is always sin and it's always shame. Because shame loves to isolate. A family, just like mold that's hidden in the walls of a basement, shame thrives when it's hidden. It flourishes when it's kept in the dark. But in that truth, there's also good news. Because if shame thrives when it's hidden, and when it's kept in the dark, then family, shouldn't the opposite also be true? right? That shame loses its power when it's exposed. That it loses its grip on you when it's brought to light. So if you want to silence the voice of shame in your life, then reject that desire to isolate and run to community instead. Family, this is why we're so passionate about life groups. It's not just because we enjoy spending time with you. We do. Some of y'all make really good snacks but that's not why we gather. We want to create safe spaces like we have that encourage this kind of transparency that leads to people being freed from shame. We've seen this happen time and time again. So let me just encourage you. We're about to launch life groups here in a couple of weeks. If you want to silence that voice of shame in your life, one of the best things you can do is to run to community. But let me also encourage you, family, don't stop there. Because isolation is actually just the first response to shame. It is not the only one. It's just the first response. It's not the only one. See, Adam and Eve, they went and they sewed these fig leaves and loincloths in isolation. But then you know what happened next. They came back together, didn't they? And there was a a new and noticeable barrier between the two of them. That's what these fig leaves represent. It's a barrier for intimacy. Because God had created them to be naked. They were no longer living the way they were created to be. God wanted them to be fully seen, fully known, and fully loved. But in response to their shame, they chose instead to isolate and then to conceal the parts of themselves that they didn't want the other one to see. That leads to the second point this morning. The second way that shame impacts our relationship is that shame conceals. Shame conceals. Now, by definition, to conceal something is is to keep it hidden. Right, to prevent from being seen or being known or being noticed. And that's exactly what shame compels us to do. Because again, we start to hear this voice in our minds saying, hey, if they see all of you, they won't love you. If they know those things about you, there's no way they can love you. If they know those things you did, those things you used to do, those things you're still doing, they won't love you. If they know where you've been, the people you've been with, they won't love you. Yeah. So our natural response, when we, when we hear that voice, that voice of shame in our minds is to do exactly what Adam and Eve did, to cover up. The only difference between us and them is we've got a lot more options than just some fig leaves to cover up with, don't we? Yeah. So I want to just take a moment just to make the spiritual practical here, to talk about what some of your fig leaves might be. Uh-oh. What are some of those things that we use to conceal ourselves, to hide behind? For some of you, it's your your physical appearance, or it's the appearance that you are trying to project. You place a high priority on looking good or making yourself look good on social media because you think that if you project this image of being put together, then maybe people won't wonder if what's on the outside actually matches what's going on on the inside. Others of you might use your job as a fig leaf. When you get in conversations, your first thing to do is is talk about how great your job is going, how busy you are, how successful you are. Think of that. Maybe, just maybe, if you distract them long enough from from what's going on professionally, then they won't care to know what's going on personally. This last one might surprise you, but for some of you, you might be using your faith as a fig leaf. In fact, this might be the easiest place for some of you to hide because you think, hey, if I just show up, If I just say the right things, if I just raise my hands during worship, then then other people will believe that I'm good, that I'm holy and I'm not at all hurting, but family. For some of y'all, it's just fig leaves. What are some of those fig leaves in your life? How are you concealing what's really going on inside? It's like I said earlier, you were created to be fully seen, fully known and fully loved. But if all you ever let people see is part of you, and they'll never fully love you all they can love is the manufactured version of yourself that you've given to them that's why i want to encourage you family don't just join a life group this semester don't just surround yourself with community but commit to bringing your true self to it don't hide behind fig leaves like these right? embrace that core value we talk about all the time of going deep and getting real because i just got to be honest sat in a lot of life groups Your vague responses, your churchy answers, they are not helping anyone. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We're all guilty of it. It's not helping anyone. What we're after here at Awaken is transformation. And what that requires, family, is your vulnerability. So if you want to experience the, the love you were created for, then open yourself up. Open yourself up. Talk about your sins. Talk about your struggles and your shame and give this family the chance to show you what true love really looks like. Again, I want to make this practical for you. Here's two really quick, really simple ways that you can do that today. The first is simply to ask for accountability. Find somebody that you trust. Find a pastor, a life group leader, a friend. Share with them your struggles. That's actually part of the reason God brought us all together, believe it or not not just to put on our best face and our best clothes and show up on sunday morning it's to rely and depend on each other ask for accountability the other thing you can do is seek out discipleship this is stepping into a a deeper and a more intimate relationship with someone someone who's further along in the faith than you somebody who's already been through the struggles you're going through it can help guide you through them We've started a, a more formal process of that with just a, a few folks here. We're excited to be able to, to spread that out, but it doesn't have to be a formal process. Just find somebody you trust. Find somebody you've seen these qualities. You've seen a Christ-like spirit in them. Ask them. Ask them to guide you. So let me just recap real quick. Shame isolates. Shame conceals. But those are just the impact that really shame has on our horizontal relationships with each other, right? What about our vertical relationships? Relationship. How does shame impact our intimacy with our Creator? We're going to shift our perspective now to that relationship. Before we do, let me just go back. Let's refresh our memories in verse 8 by looking at how Adam and Eve respond to God. It says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Okay. I don't know how many times y'all have read this, but this is one of the most ridiculous scenes in all the Bible, right? They actually thought they could hide from God. I chuckle every time I read this. It reminds me of when I used to play hide and seek with my kids. I still play hide and seek with my kids, but when they were really little, when Avery was probably like two, she would always go and she would hide behind our curtains, okay? Our curtains stop about here and she stopped about here. So you would see almost her entire body, like only her face was covered up. She thought she was hiding. And as the longer I would take, the, the louder her giggles would get. I can't help but think that this is exactly what God was thinking when Adam was hiding. Like, really, kid? Like, you think I can't see you? And then I think about the ways that we all hide from God. Whew. For most of us, the more kind of innocent way to do this is just to hide behind distractions, to hide behind the busyness of life. Just like Avery played in hide-and-seek, we think as long as God can't see us, as long as he's not really in my periphery, then, then, then I'm not in his. Or, as long as he's out of sight, then I'm good. So we choose to ignore our sin. and We hide behind anything that will keep our minds off of it. Others of us will find good things to hide behind. Our spouses, our kids, our schoolwork. These are all good things. But what we do is we pour all of our our time, all of our attention, all of our energy, all of our heart into that in hopes that maybe we won't ever have to deal with the shame that's living inside of us. Family, these are the trees that we hide behind. This is how we hide to try to not be caught in the midst of our shame. But again, if I'm being honest, I think for some of you, the most painful truth here is that you might be wrestling with the fact that you are hiding from God in his own house. I think that's a word for somebody. You've been hiding from God in his own house, in the church itself. You show up on Sundays, maybe every Sunday, but it's really just a disguise. It's just a facade because you think, hey, if I show up, if I say the right things, if I do all of this, then neither my friends, my church family, or my God will notice that there's something going on deeper. But that's just not true. You may be able to fool us, but you're not fooling him. There is no hiding from God. He sees you, he knows you, every part of you. So here's what I want you to understand, family. If any of those hiding places resonate with you, I want you to know that the longer you choose to cover up, the longer that your sin goes undealt with, the more your shame will grow and the farther you will separate yourself from God. I guarantee it. And that right there, family, That separation, that is Satan's primary goal, is to keep you separated from God. That's why shame is such a critical part of his plan, because his temptation may lead you to sin, and that sin may lead to an initial separation, but shame is what sustains that separation. Shame is what keeps you from him. That's why our fourth and final point this morning is that shame separates. Shame separates now, I'm not sure if you caught this, but the, there's an implication in verse 8 that God would regularly come to the garden to spend time with Adam and Eve. We don't know what this looks like or what it felt like. It's kind of a cool idea to think of in your mind. But it's also one of the greatest consequences of sin. Right? This loss of intimacy with our Creator. It's one of the greatest consequences of sin. But what I want you to see you understand see even when I say that, right, this loss of intimacy, this separation, it's not really a consequence of sin, right? This is a self-imposed consequence, if anything. Just like God never issued shame as a consequence of sin, he never took away his presence as a punishment either. We say that again for some of you need to hear that. God never issued shame as a consequence of sin, and he never took his presence away from you as punishment either. It was Adam and Eve who chose to flee from his presence. What we see in God is actually the exact opposite response. We see a patient, a loving, a gracious pursuit. We're going to talk a little bit more about what that pursuit looked like specifically next week. But what I want you to see is that while, while sin may have led to an initial separation, that God's response is and always has been pursuit. It's us who are the ones who want to create the distance to chase after this, this temporary relief from shame rather than turning to God and receiving total freedom from it. But the good news is, family, the good news is that there's always good news. And, and the good news here is that God does not leave us in our shame. That no matter how far we may have fled from him, he still comes after us. In fact, this whole book is literally filled with stories of God coming after his people in the midst of shame. Just look at Noah. Just look at at Moses, Abraham, Jacob, Samuel, David, Solomon, Peter, Thomas, on and on and on and on. It's God coming after his people in the midst of their shame to show them the blessed and abundant life that he has designed for them to live. Open up your Bible, flip to any page, you will see God's pursuit, him coming after his people because God never leaves us in our shame. He always Comes after us. He always comes after us. Thank you, Lord. I want to close our time this morning as I invite the band back up by showing you a different picture of what this looks like. I want to share a story with you that comes from the New Testament. It's a story that reveals to us that no matter how we respond to shame, that God always has the final word. The story comes to us from the Gospel of John, where we find Jesus, and Jesus is on a mission. Now, I know Jesus is always on a mission, but this mission is not one to, uh, to, to, to preach or to, to, to work miracles, but it's a mission that's in a very specific pursuit of a very specific person. This person that Jesus is in pursuit of is a Samaritan woman, a woman who has been living in disgrace, weighed down by the weight of immense shame. And if you know the, the historical cultural context and you know that she's quite honestly the very last person in the very last place that you would expect Jesus to go to. And yet John tells us in John 4:4 that Jesus had to go there, that he had to go that way. And I love that John says it this way because if you know geography, you know that Jesus did not have to go this way, that he actually went out of his way to go see her. It's because Jesus never leaves us in our shame. He comes right after us. He can't not pursue us in our shame. He simply has to go. And so Jesus goes and he pursues this woman and he finds her and she's drawing water from a well in the heat of the day, Scripture tells us. Well, if you know the context, then you know this is an obvious sign that this woman does not want to be seen. Because all the other women, they would go there in the cool of the day. When the sun's not hot, they congregate with each other, but this woman, her desire was to come and go unseen and unnoticed, completely concealed. Right? She planned her day with the hopes that she might be able to avoid that pain of her shame just a little while longer. But she didn't know. She didn't know that Jesus was going to meet her there that day. She didn't know that Jesus was coming to meet her in the very place that she was trying to hide. Jesus met her there so that she would know that she is fully seen, fully known, and fully loved. And what happens is Jesus starts to speak to this woman. And he makes it clear. He's like, I know everything about you. I know about your failed marriages. I know about the man that you're living with out of wedlock. I mean, he is reading her mail right out in front of her. And he's not speaking this with a voice of, of condemnation, but with a heart of compassion. He said, I'm coming after you in the midst of your shame because I want you to know that you are seen, that you are known and despite any of your sins that you are more loved than you could ever imagine. I think some of you need to hear that today. I think Jesus may be coming to meet you here today so that you would know that you are seen, that you are known and that you are more loved than you could ever imagine. Some of y'all know this story, and you know that this woman went on changed. Not just well, not only was she changed, but John 4 39 tells us that she goes to the Samaritan village and she tells this town, and many in that town believed in Jesus because of her testimony. She went from being ashamed to even show her face to loudly proclaiming God's grace, becoming the first evangelist that we see in the gospels. All because she was seen, known, and loved. In this story of this woman coming face to face with her shame, coming face to face with her Savior, we see a beautiful picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel. The late Tim Keller, he sums it up this way. He says, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared believe. Family, the good news of the gospel, this love, this kind of grace, it is available to you today. And what this story should show you is that it does not matter where you have been. It does not matter what you have done or what has been done to you. That God is still coming after you. He longs to meet you in the midst of that shame to speak words of truth and words of life and to offer you this abundant life that he designed for you to live. He doesn't want to give you temporary relief from your shame. He wants to give you total freedom from it. The only question that you have to answer is, do you want to be found? Do you truly want to be found? You know, I mentioned earlier about playing hide and seek with my kids. But what I didn't mention is that my kids, they never let me be the one that hides. It's really not fair. But as I thought about this, I realized why they want to be the ones that hide. It's because they relish in the joy of being found. They relish in the joy of being found. They love that feeling when they see my face, when they see my smile and I wrap them up in my arms. Right in that moment, they feel so seen, they feel so known, they feel so loved, and that's just by me, their earthly father. Imagine what that must feel like with your heavenly father. When you are seen, when you are known, and when you are loved. It's that joy. Maybe that's why my kids don't even try to hide. Maybe that's why we shouldn't either. Why can't we just bring our full selves to God? That's what He wants, that's all He wants is to get us to come out from hiding. That's why he constantly pursues us in our sin and in our shame. All he wants is to give us his joy and his love and his forgiveness forever. So family, come out of your hiding place. I don't know the sin. I don't know the shame you might be dealing with, but God does. He sees it. He knows it. And he's still loving and pursuing you in spite of it. His joy is waiting for you. It's waiting. Do you want to be found? I want to ask you if you would just stand to your feet. As you stand to your feet, I want to close this in a time of prayer. And so, if you would just close your eyes right where you're at. I realize this is a a personal conversation, so I'm not going to ask anybody to raise any hands. I'm not going to ask for anything like that. I just want to ask that question to you one more time Do you want to be found? Do you want to be found? Because all it takes, all it takes is you opening yourself up, confessing to God the ways that you have concealed yourself, the ways you have hidden yourself, saying, Lord, come find me. Come be with me. He longs to walk with you, just like he did in the garden. So, Father, we thank you we thank you for the gift of your grace, Lord, that you see us, that you see all of us, that you know everything about us, and that you love us still. Oh, your grace is far too good for us. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning who need to be freed from the weight of their shame. Would you remind them of who you are? Would you remind them of what Jesus did for them? Go into the cross, taking on their sin, taking on their shame so that we might receive your righteousness, so that we might receive freedom in you. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name, amen.